Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, a member of the World Business Academy's Board of Directors, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on December 15th, 2017. This is a good time to look back over the year and discuss what we see on the horizon for 2018. Uh, Ronaldo, but let's start with the situation on the ground where you are right now. Can you tell us what's happening with the massive fire on the Central Coast? Yeah, well, welcome, everyone. And um, I kind of seem like I feel like I'm reporting from a war zone. Uh, Our offices at the Academy are in Santa Barbara, California, as is my home. And uh, we are in the and have been since uh, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. We were in the entered the voluntary evacuation uh, section of the fire. Uh, it was about eight nine miles away from us at that time. It's about three quarters of a mile away from us at this time. Uh, but the good news is the wind is blowing in the right direction. Uh, it is blowing it away from Santa Barbara at the moment. There is some question as to whether the Santa Ana winds will resume on Sunday. If they do, um, no one knows exactly what will happen. But because the fire has been raging for many days now, a week, uh, there are some burn spots that have happened between here and where the fire currently is burning that might give us some protection. Having said that, when um, when you have 35 to 50 mile an hour winds gusting, uh, embers fly a great distance. Anything can ignite. The uh, humidity is very low. And so we're in a, in, in a dangerous situation, but I frankly believe we're going to be okay. I really do believe that. Um, it, what's interesting, though, is how much like a war zone this is right now. Uh, because of the interruptions of power, uh, ATMs weren't working, gas stations weren't working for several days. They, they couldn't you know, get electricity to their pumps. Uh, people sort of, we got around that now. Everybody's got power again. Uh, but we keep, uh, we keep running into so many people who have left town because the air quality has been horrific. Uh, if you've seen pictures of people walking around with masks on, that's not fake news. That's real. Everybody here has been wearing a mask for a week uh, because of the uh, toxicity of the air. But I'm, I'm not saying that to gain sympathy. I'm actually pretty happy with um, how we're going to come out of this. By the grace of God, it looks to me like the winds are going to just miss pushing it, the fire into us in Santa Barbara, which is which is really huge. And I think the firefighters have done an enormous job of, of protecting structures uh, that only 950 of them have been burned at this point. When you've got a fire that's over 250,000 acres, it's kind of impressive. They, they keep making a goal line stand every time it comes up against residential neighborhoods. Um, they lost a little of Carpinteria, but most of it's intact. What's what's the bigger message, though? And, and I'm, I report all this to you uh, because I know people care about what's going on here, and I get a lot of inquiries about it. So just know everything is going as good as it can under the circumstance. But the bigger moral of the story, the lesson to take from this, is climate change. Uh, I'm pleased that Governor Brown, uh, last Thursday, uh, was, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, commented very vigorously on uh, the idea of climate change creating a new normal for forest fires and drought in California. And that's quite true. Uh, for those of you who listen to the program, you know we've uh, in the past identified there were 6.4 million refugees this year from Africa, climate refugees, because of uh, what's happening with the advancing desert sands in Africa and the drought there. And what I'd like people to realize is something as tragic as this fire, which currently is the fourth largest fire in the, wildfire in the history of California, soon to be the third, 
this wildfire is a direct result of climate change. And what's going to follow this wildfire conceivably is very heavy rain downpours, which could cause further damage from mudslides, et cetera. So what I'd like people to realize is in, in all the hurly-burly of Trump and the politics and North Korea and Russia and everything else we can be talking about, some of which we'll touch on in this program, in all of that, keep your eye on climate change. There is no bigger threat to human civilization than climate change. And what we are going to do to adapt to it with the way we have to build in the future, what we'll do to adapt to it in terms of how we'll have to choose the crops we grow and how we irrigate them are all minor, minor issues. The bigger issue is the temperature is going up faster and faster. And we are literally getting more and more belches of methane every day from the depths of the ocean gases that have been trapped there for over a million years. More and more of the permafrost is being decimated. Uh, the glacier, uh, the Greenland ice sheet, ice mass is melting at a much faster, accelerated rate every year. It melts faster than last year. So when you look at all of these issues, and in the subsequent shows next we'll do, we'll do next year, we'll go into some greater detail about what this all means for everybody, no matter where you live, and what we can do to adapt to it. And uh, it's, it's clear we're going to have to adapt. And what I'd like people to know is I know we can do this. As I've always said, there's never been a problem I've ever heard of that we can't solve with today's technology and resources. What we've done is we've had the political lack of will. We've lacked the political will to fix it. And, you know, that's, that's, that, that's what we're going to have to focus on in 2018 and beyond. It's now clearer than ever that that's the number one issue facing humanity. Close behind it, though, and this is an interesting bridge or segue, you know, the state of Louisiana is has been cutting its budget year after year. It now has a Democratic governor for the first time in a while, and it has a Republican legislature. And because they won't pass taxes, the state of Louisiana is getting poorer and poorer and is one of the poorest states already. And they're now looking at having basically no money to pay for medical care for the poor. They have no money for education. They have no money for anything, literally. And it looks like it's going to be much, much worse in 2018. Why do I say that? Because we are now living in a time where a certain faction of our political structure believes that they can take whatever they want off the table for themselves, and somehow the band will keep on playing. And that just isn't true. So Louisiana is careening towards a serious financial set of issues. Kansas already got there. And by the way, for those who don't recall, the way Kansas got into such deep financial crisis that it's in now is because the governor did precisely trickle-down economics uh, in that state four years ago, claiming it would create a huge boom in revenue. And of course, the reverse has happened. And that state right now is probably one of the worst states in America in terms of its uh, financial crisis. It's right down there with Louisiana. So I do think these things are tied together. I think our our requirement to wake up as a civilian population and demand that we get results on climate change, demand that we get results that basically start to reestablish a middle class, demand an end to unrestrained greed. But short of us making those demands in many ways and going to the ballot box to enforce those demands, short of that, we're looking at a very dismal future for ourselves in the very near future. And I'm sorry to say that that's kind of where we end the year. Now, from a political point of view, 
you could say we ended the year in great shape because um, Judge Moore was defeated, Roy Moore was defeated in Alabama, and that that says something about the turn of the tide politically. Uh, for those of you who think it means that Alabama rejected Moore because he was uh, a, an alleged pedophile, uh, I don't think that's what it said because it seems like from the exit polls, people weren't really that absurd about the uh, concerned about the allegations of what he did with young girls uh, for many years. The reason he got beat is because the African American population of Alabama realized the handwriting was on the wall. They had to mobilize. And as um, Matt was observing only earlier this morning, more black people voted in Alabama to stop more than voted to get Obama into the White House. That's quite a statement. But it shows you what can and must be done if all of us, black, white, yellow, brown, red, male, female, whatever your preferences are, we all have to pull together now because our political system is so badly out of whack, it's literally cooking us with climate change and it's going to be bankrupting us with a, uh, a, a greed fest for the richest of the rich and the largest of corporate corporations. Now, let's let's start talking about that a little bit, Ronaldo. You know, it, what we're seeing here, the the manifestation of what the political system has been able to deliver over the past year. The big one, the big thing is essentially gutting regulations, and now we're looking at passing a tax, a massive tax cut and redistribution of wealth upwards. Um, that kind of fits with what you're saying, uh, you know, in the in the environmental sense and our kind of overall benign or intentional neglect also of, of government. Uh, is there is there more you want to talk about specifically about why Wall Street is so happy with this outcome? Yeah, I think, first of all, what I want people to focus on is, and we'll talk about the stock market in a minute, but the stock market's already priced all this stuff into the price of shares. It's assuming it's going to get this landmark tax redistribution bill. And I'm glad you didn't call it tax reform, Matt, because it's there's nothing reform about this. This is a massive, massive tax manipulation to further enrich the wealthy who can afford the lawyers and the lobbyists to get what they want at the cost of the middle class, which will pay the price deeply and dearly for quite some time to come. What I'd like to say is that the greed of Wall Street and the greed of corporate America and the greed of the top one, two percent, apparently knows no boundaries. Uh, and and a, a metaphor that um, that I like to use is if there's five of us sitting around a honey pot, and think of a honey as honey as the um, a sweet byproduct of busy bees creating their daily life. So in that sense, the honey pot's like our economy. It's the excess, the sweet excess of the economy that then has gets to be distributed. And if each of us have our finger in the honey pot and we lick it, it tastes pretty good. And there's still plenty of honey in the honey pot. However, if one of us puts our fist in the honey pot and grabs a whole bunch of honey, it really makes for less honey for everybody to stick their finger into. But if all five of us put our fists in the honey pot at the same time, two things are going to happen. One, our fists are going to get all tangled up together and we're going to be tripping over each other. And number two, there's going to be no honey left in the pot, meaning that unrestrained greed can kill every sweet outcome. We are lucky that our economy has been growing at two and a half, 2.7% this year. Very fortunate. And I credit that, frankly, to the Obama era. 
that it's now going to be up to the Trump administration with policies it's put in place in the last three, four months and what's coming. Uh, my guess is that the economy is headed for a very severe downturn. But why that's important from the corporate point of view is every corporation that's thinking of how they can greedily take advantage of the Trump administration isn't thinking, factoring in that every other industry is doing it too. Let me give you an example. Uh, you referenced, I believe, net neutrality. So every one of the major uh, telecoms companies, the Verizons, the AT&Ts, the Comcasts, stand to benefit enormously because they're going to be given the rights of monopolists over what was since, 19, since 2015 considered to be a utility, i.e. the requirement to make sure everybody had phone service or, in this case, good internet service. Well, they're, they're, they're already getting that benefit. All these telecoms, their stocks have gone up because people saw that Trump's administration was going to provide endless opportunities for business to make more and more money at the expense of consumers. So it's priced into their stock already, and we, the public, will be paying for it for years to come in terms of a lack of competitive rates and competitive services. And frankly, it may even kill the Internet as we know it. So it, it, it's an amazing amount of disequilibrium that's being introduced for the benefit of a handful of small, very powerful companies. Let me give you another example. The same time net neutrality is happening, we have a, another agency of government, the, 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 basically all of the congressional oversight and the executive branch oversight of the finance industry has completely rolled over. The finance industry is going to end 2017 with less regulation than it had in, 20, in 2008 when it crashed. Think about that. We're going to be worse off with bank regulation today than we were in 2008. Now, if it weren't for the fact that the Europeans are tightening things up, I'd be completely hopeless. But as it is, we're sitting ducks in America for the unrestrained greed of the big banks, and we know what that causes. And we also know that they weren't smart enough to see it coming on time anyway. Why are they doing it again? They didn't pay any penalty for the last one. They took us all over a cliff. We paid for their collective madness. None of them went to jail. They didn't pay really stiff fines and all in all. And so the moral hazard has occurred. They don't think there's any downside. So if they can steal everything they want, while times are good and not worry about what happens when times get bad, then the financial industry has already priced into its stock prices that it's going to continue to make egregious profits. And that's already priced into the market, meaning the, the high share values already reflect that because it's already happened. It's not waiting for the tax bill. I could go into several other industries, but let's just stop here for a minute. When you then take an add to these regulatory changes, which have been uh, to try and kill solar energy by putting a tariff on in January, uh, to hold or back or kill wind energy, to support the growth of coal, fossil fuels, uh, particularly natural gas. When you put all these juxtaposed positions together, what you see is unrestrained greed with too many hands going into the honeypot simultaneously. I do not think there's any conceivable way this can end up well. What do we do about it? Well, as everybody knows, our ultimate option is to go to the polls and keep replacing the people who are doing us the most harm. Sometimes in a democracy, that doesn't happen so well, either because the ballot box gets stuffed, and we believe the Russians are capable of stuffing the ballot box in 2018, 
or the, uh, the, 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 the use of social media distorts the conversation and that causes a, a disequilibrium, or some other event intervenes, whether it's war in North Korea or it's something else. All of these factors are swirling around and everybody listening to my voice today, they know that. So with all these issues swirling around and the uncertainty that that presents to us as consumers, as members of this economy, and as citizens, tells me that we may not be able to get to the ballot box quick enough to change the control mechanisms that are taking charge of our lives, it, things are moving too fast. And as a result, I cannot see how we won't have worse economic times come next year. Um, the, the regulations that have been gutted, the, 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 the way renewables are under attack, the way that the, the agencies of government like the SEC, the FCC rather, are pushing for unrestrained greed by the telecoms. All this is coming together. And unfortunately, that means there's going to be very little to no honey left for the middle class. And as, as I keep seeing, that's where the crunch will happen. So to end it here, I would say a little bit of greed you can get away with because the rest of the system will hold you up. But when you have unrestrained greed in multiple directions, I'm fairly certain you cannot sustain a modern economy. Yeah. Will. Sorry. Uh, the, the, you know, the thing we've been talking about all year is that we thought this, this, there was going to be a correction in the stock market uh, as a result of the various, you know, various factors but we've seen that that's actually either delayed or that the market's not reacting the way that we expected. You know, what do you think's going on there? Why is the unemployment rate still so low and spending is up and the markets are doing well? That's a great question. I mean, first of all, I think that there are a large number of people, I'm going to say at least a third of the electorate, the Trumpies, who really believe that times are going to be great in the future, who really believe that um, we're, on, we're on the best ride we could be. And so they are spending with no restraint. I think that there is enormous amounts of money that have come into the economy from other countries, uh, which has supported our structure, our business structure, because the United States was until recently perceived to be a good place to stash your money. I don't think that's true any longer. So I think that's going to start to have an impact. Uh, I believe that inflation is coming. So we've, the Fed just raised interest rates again. Uh, that's going to further complicate people's lives in a lot of ways and make the cost of credit more expensive for them. And I think that could even slow the economy down all by itself a little bit. It's, it's there hoping it will. So I see a lot of things that are going on. I say to myself, yep, there should have been a correction by now because everybody should know by now what I know because it didn't, doesn't take a lot of far-seeing vision to predict what's likely to happen in our political sphere and what's likely to happen to the economy over the next 12 months. So people should begin starting pretty soon to slow down their spending. And I would guess that at some point, People are going to start getting energized that they can take back their political future. And many other people are going to get depressed that that could happen. And you could have a disequilibrium in uh, consumption, meaning you, you would expect to see 
a decrease in um, uh, people's expectation of whether good times are coming or bad, even though they are better off today than they were a year ago. And again, I say that's largely because of the things that were put in place by Obama, the stuff that Trump's doing is going to have its impact in 2018. And I just don't see that you can survive with the kind of economy we want in the face of those kind of changes by the administration. Again, that's not a political comment. That's an economic comment. It, it just makes sense at all. And I got to say, many, many business people I know, many, many people who are extremely wealthy would agree with everything I just said, that a little bit of greed can, you, you can live with, but this level of greed may not be survivable in normal sense. It may not be that we can avoid a steep correction. And why it hasn't happened yet, I think has to do with the belief people have that since it's better today than it was a year ago, why wouldn't it be, be better a year from today than it is to today? And I think that's a particularly uninformed point of view. And so my own personal conclusion is um, I've been out of the market now for a few months. I'm going to stay out of the market mostly to make the maximum extent possible because uh, I think the upside left in this market is very limited. Uh, and I think the downside is significant, meaning 30%. 20 to 30% correction. So I'm going to stay out of it and see where it lands. And if I'm wrong, and I'll revisit it in three or four months, I'll have lost a couple dollars, but not much. And I will um, re-enter the market when I think it's safe. But right now, I do not think it's safe. And, you know, there are people who are betting on uh, this continued uh, upswing in the market. One of them is the Green Money blog posted from Amy Dominey, the founder of Dominey Impact Investing. A blog about how she's going to be in the market and you know 10% cash uh, and, you know you sent that as an example of something that you thought was probably missing the point um, do you is there anything else you want to add about that specifically yeah I mean I have a lot of respect for Amy and, and by the way she she comments on many of the same things I'm observing but then she bifurcates she sees what's happening in the social sphere as somehow disconnected from the economic sphere and I don't in other words, the reason why I come up with the conclusion I do is because I do believe that the economy and society are inherently integrated. And you cannot harm one society without harming the other, the economy, or vice versa. It's also why when the economy does well, society does better, generally speaking. You have less xenophobia when the economy is doing well. Uh, you have less um, us versus them thinking when the economy is doing very well. So I believe that the U.S. economy is capable of far greater growth than it is currently sustaining, but I'm really happy for how much growth it's had over the last couple of years, and I'm very concerned about what's coming in 2018. It's surprising to me in some ways that the, the bubble hasn't burst already, but I've got to say, I, am, I, I, I sleep better at night knowing I don't have a significant stock portfolio than if I did. And I told everybody I would warn you, you know, about bonds. And I said, you know, when when the Fed raises interest rates again, which they'll probably do this month, and now they've done it, uh, you don't want to be in bonds. You don't want to be in things that are going to adversely be affected by higher interest rates. Uh, I don't know that they're going to keep raising them. Frankly, uh, they might find in 2018 that they can't keep raising them, even though they'd like to. Uh, there was a rumor that the Bank of England raised its discount rate a quarter of a point as a way to get ready for a worse economic period they thought was coming in Britain and they wanted to have some downside movement they could make. Uh, that's probably true. Kerry, who's the head of the Bank of England, uh, is a very cagey guy. He used to be the head of the Bank of Canada when he was hired by the Brits. 
to run the Bank of England. And I think he's um, I think he's a very sophisticated thinker, and I believe he sees the kind of stuff I'm looking at and is trying to figure out what to do about it, uh, given that they are still very much um, headed towards Brexit. So I guess the, 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 the ultimate comment is uh, keep your powder dry. Uh, stay liquid. Um, watch. If you miss a little more of the run-up in the market, one or two or three or four percent, not going to cost you much. Better to sleep well at night and know that you're downside protected in the uncertain times we live in. And then when you add the geopolitical uncertainty, I don't know if you want to talk about Korea, Matt, but when you add the uncertainty of a possible war in the Korean Peninsula, I mean, even, I mean, even if it's just a you know conventional war, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die, and it's yeah. going to be extremely destabilizing. Yeah, I was going to go there next, so I'm glad you did. Basically, the thing that you know people are talking about a little bit but as you're saying most people are focused on these other issues the domestic political insanity that we've seen for the last year uh and some of the the push to get the tax uh massive tax cut done and i think that there's a lot of people who are ignoring the possibility of and how close we are to conflagration with north korea um you know my own take on it is i think i, I think there's a 50 50 chance that a war breaks out there uh, and I'm I'm really hoping that there's a way around it, uh, and I, and because of the the perilousness of the situation, but I'd love to hear what you think and what you think the the impact on the economy would be. Well, I think first of all, I mean the tax bill is one of the worst pieces of legislation I've ever seen in my adult life. At a time when corporate profits are at an all time high, and with no ceiling in sight, to give them a further massive tax reduction, when we are underfunding education, underfunding Medicaid, underfunding infrastructure. You know, I mean, we're the only country in the world right now that is ignoring our basic um, human rights within our society. What, what matters to us, education, transportation, banking system, all these things, <laughs> the Internet, all these things are critical to modern life. And we're hurting all of them in pursuit of providing ever more profit and comfort to the top 1%. I believe the three richest Americans, Jeff Bezos, um, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates, together have more assets than the bottom 50% of the American public. I think that's an actual, actual accurate statistic. That's yeah. insane. Why would we be passing laws to make those three guys richer and taking the money out of the pockets of the middle class? So this is this tax bill, and I, and I never use the word reform because there's nothing reforming about it. This tax bill is a giant ripoff, and I think people know it. Last time I looked, it was like 24 to 27 percent of the public were in favor of this tax bill. And the rest aren't. And frankly, if they yeah. read it carefully, they wouldn't be. I don't think 20. Well, if the 27 percent knew it was good for them, they wouldn't be in favor of it. Right. But Yeah. Well, yeah. And, that, and that's the question, right, is like. How do the, the that's another thing I want to get to, and I, and I think the Korea thing folds into that too, which is how do the politics of this tax bill actually play out next year, and the possibility of or if there was actually a, a war in Korea, how does that play out politically? I think that that those are two question marks going into an election year that are very, uh, very interesting, and I my my personal take is that they'll be uh, they'll set up a situation that if the the real left wing of the country can actually leverage it would be actually beneficial to the, the long term of, of the country. I, I see a silver lining here, but 
keep going about what you think about the tax implications. I think no, that I this think, is important. I, think, I mean, there could be a silver lining. Well, first of all, the great silver lining that I'd like to see is that the tax bill fails to pass. Uh, look, uh, the, the biggest thing that's happened in the last three months uh, is not the Russia investigation, because frankly, we haven't learned anything new in the last three months. Everything you've learned in the last three months, we sort of knew ahead of time. It's just gotten proven, right? I mean, right. You know, and, and I and I'm getting tired of hearing this word. Did he collude with the Russians? The correct word is, did he conspire? Conspiracy is a crime. Two guys have already pled guilty. Flynn and uh, Papadopoulos. Two guys are on under massive indictments and house arrest. That would be Manafort and uh, what's his name? His buddy. His name escapes me at the moment. Gary. Yeah. Um, and you've got a whole series of people who have apparently started talking to the special prosecutor, filling in the blanks. I have no doubt that if Mueller is allowed to finish his job, what his conclusions will be. Not because he's predetermined them, but because they're so obvious. There's more than enough evidence in the public record today to indict and convict this president on conspiracy to uh, basically destroy the political process in America, conspiracy of money laundering, uh, conspiracy to obstruct justice and obstruction of justice. All of those charges, there's enough information in the public record today to convict on. And anybody who doesn't agree with that, go study the record. It's pretty bad right now. It's damning. Having said that, if this tax reform thing passes, it will set up an opportunity for the Democrats but I think it's too big a price to pay. Uh, I started to say that one of the most important things that's happened in the last three months is not Russia and Trump. It's that Paul Ryan's rumored to be quitting in 2018. I mean, the guy who's running against him is a first-time novice who's a hard hat. Steelworkers, I recall. Yeah. And um, I think he's got a shot of unseating the, 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 the sitting Speaker of the House. And I think Ryan knows it. And I think what Ryan's doing is he's calculating how does he get clear of Trump now that the Roy Moore result is out. And I do believe the Roy Moore election was a, a watershed. Doug Jones getting elected as a Democrat in a deep red state like Alabama, which doesn't share cultural values with the mainstream, frankly. Um, that is, which is why the, the pedophile allegation didn't stick. Alabama is not concerned about those things. In well, fact, yeah, one... most people, the, the majority of Alabamians, I, mean, I think there is a real resurgent group of Alabamians who want to change that narrative about their state. But you're right. As a voting issue, yeah. it wasn't enough to sink up. Yeah. And, and Doug Jones made that case in his, in his victory speech. He said, look, you know, it, there's, this time Alabama took the right turn. Right. But they didn't take it because of the pedophile allegations. I think they took it because Roy Moore said out loud that he thought we were better off under slavery than we are today. And he used the word slavery. So 96% of the blacks who voted in Alabama, and as I said, more voted in Alabama this time than voted for Obama, 96% said, ooh, ooh, we don't want to bring Masser back. We don't want to bring slavery back. We don't want to bring their mentality back like that. We don't want that to even be a conscious thought process. So we got to stop this. Well, I believe that Paul Ryan, who to me is a guy with very little moral compass. Uh, he wants to be president in the worst way possible. I mean, he ran for vice president. That's got to be a very heady experience. He's young enough to run for president. Uh, 
And um, he's got to get clear of this wreckage. And I believe he thinks that the Moore election is the beginning of a different alignment in the political process. And I believe that Ryan thinks that he's going to see a very, very tough way to stay popular if the tax bill passes. And he's afraid that it won't pass. And then people will say he got nothing done. But I do believe he'll retire in 2018. Now, as I go through all these thoughts, and it, it makes me stop and reflect on the fact that uh, we did more economics than politics on our show this year. And uh, I try, whenever I do political commentary like this, to tie it to something that's economic. And I sure would like to hear back from you listeners if this is helpful. Because I, I started to talk about Amy Dominey a minute ago and how I agree with some of the things she said. But where I disagree with Amy Dominey is she really believes that the economy and the culture are not inherently intertwined. See, you cannot have cultural disruptions. That's the politics, the politics and everything else. You can't have that and have a strong economy. And if you have a weak economy, you're going to have political disruptions. So these two are intimately intertwined. And I believe that Amy, in assessing that there will be a correction in the market in 2019, but that it won't happen in 2018, that was her conclusion, Matt. Uh, I think she's wrong. I think there's more there's more pressure on the system than it can withstand to make it through 2018. So I'm going to stand by my original thought, which is corrections coming sooner rather than later. If it doesn't happen before December 31, I'm confident it's going to happen in the fairly early part of 2018. And we'll see. And maybe I'll be right. Maybe I'll be wrong. But I do believe the underlying information that you should be looking at is how much dislocation how many dislocations are there in our society? Because if you keep having dislocations in society, you will have dislocations in the economy. The two are intimately intertwined. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that was interesting about her statement is, you know, her piece was that she's saying essentially next year she's not going to, she doesn't see the, the correction coming, right? Like you're saying, it's right. like 2019. I, I was thinking about that when I was reading it. And essentially my, my thought here is, it did take a while for the giant housing bubble to finally burst. And, you know, some people identified it as a bubble and it was a long building trend. That's not what we're talking about necessarily. We're talking about a correction in, in overvaluation of stocks, right? Profit taking and getting out of the market and potentially a downward spiral that that creates. Uh, are there any specific triggers or where would you, any sectors specifically that you'd look at for that correction to come? Or, you know, you don't have to get that specific. I'm just wondering if you have anything in mind there. Well, I mean, I think it's simplistic to look at the, the, the sectors that are obvious. So, so traditional brick-and-mortar retail continue in the aggregate to be under a lot of pressure. Electronic retail continues to be booming along. And you can make the case that retail of one sort is the same as retail on the other. However, uh, the truth of the matter is that fewer people work for Amazon than for the companies that Amazon has replaced. Now, Amazon is quick to point out that they uh, pay their employees better than retail, which they do, that they provide benefits to their employees, which they do, and retail usually doesn't. Or it's, it's, it does so with a great deal of resistance. So there is a difference of the experience of the wage earner in Amazon, which is preferable to that of a retail clerk. On the other hand, all those retail clerks got to get hired doing something. And 
that's why I find the the the, the numbers so amazing in the um, current unemployment rate, because so many people have been getting laid off in retail. I'm not sure where they're getting hired to keep this unemployment rate so low, but my guess is that they've been traded from higher paying jobs to basically burger flipping, lower paying jobs. That's the only thing I can figure at this point, and that transition will change relatively soon as well. But back to Amy Dominey. So what I'd love to have people do is, if, if you people would write in and tell us, um, is it helpful to us, to you, for us to connect the politics to the economics? Would you prefer to hear more about the politics and what we see as the underlying ways that it impacts economics and your own financial well-being? Would you like to hear less of it? Would you like to hear more about markets as opposed to uh, underlying themes? Let us know. Uh, this the only reason we're doing this show is to share what we can see of value for you and the more you tell us what's of value to you the better job we'll do in sharing it so i really encourage you all to let us know how we can be of assistance and um, i also want to put a plug in right now for optimus daily so for all of you who have not yet signed up for the free service optimus daily please do all you gotta do is go info at worldbusiness.org Send us your email address. We'll send you the Optimist Daily five days a week. It's five lines you can read in less than two minutes. And it will tell you five different stories of something positive happening somewhere in the world you didn't know about. For example, the first carbon dioxide scrubbing machines have gone online commercially in Germany and Switzerland. Who knew? Uh, and scrubbing carbon dioxide could very well become a critical issue in climate change as we go forward. Um, there are so many good stories every day that we would urge you to take this free service because given the stress of the times we live in from climate change, from the Trump administration, from all the changes that we're going through, from people like me sitting in Santa Barbara, which is on fire, all of these stresses give me the desire to want to have something optimistic in my life as well. So I can balance the stress and the cynicism with a little bit of optimism about how it can come out. I don't want to ever be in the position where I think all is lost and nothing can be done. The exact opposite is true for me. When the times get tough, the tough get going. And one way to get going is to increase your mental uh, capacity for optimistic thinking. It's a free service. It'll cheer you up if nothing else. And it will make it easier for you to stay calm when all of these changes are impacting upon you as increasingly they will. Yeah, and if you are already signed up for it, uh, I can recommend signing up for the premium version. There is a paid w way to support more people getting access to the to the service, and it's uh, an extended version of the daily with access to uh, ten or ten total, or actually even more sometimes uh, stories that come in from around the globe, plus a weekly uh, piece of content that essentially is a original content from the editor Urian Comp. Uh, Ronaldo, I, I want to leverage what you're saying. Oh, there. by the way, just before you go past that, though, but I do want to say, listen, don't let anybody, don't let the fact that some people pay for it in order for you to get it free stop you from getting it free. Absolutely. Uh, we want everybody to start their day with an optimistic thought. Optimism is the antidote to cynicism. If you don't want to pay for it, that's great. We make it available free. Some of you can help us pay for it by putting in as little as five bucks a month. So please take the service for free. If you want to help more, let us know. But for sure, take it for free and share it with your friends. Uh, you Go know, ahead, Matt. Looking, looking at the optimistic side, and again, I want to reserve judgment on this, what I'm about to say, um, 
pending how the North Korea situation works out, because I think that's the big concern uh, uh, of how, you know, how drastic and devastating that could be if, if that goes the wrong direction. But other than that, you know, the, the political backlash uh, and the awakening of the American people actually is really significant. And it's easy to get stuck on the, wow, isn't this tax plan really bad? And, oh, my God, our politics have gone to a new low. And forget that actually what we've seen is a resurgence of uh, a real progressive wing of the Democratic Party to which I, you know, I, I have some hope that some of these really excellent folks can actually get their message across finally, especially when you see that this is essentially the only thing that this group of leaders in Congress and in the White House have been able to accomplish is a massive redistribution of wealth upwards as if anyone was asking for that, right? So the, the extremely low popularity of this tax cut shows you that the that the soma, that the lies and that the madness of, of uh, what is it called, uh, trickle-down economics has finally worn off. And, and, and I believe that we're actually getting ready for a, a more unified uh, working class uh, uh shift in politics and you know everyone tried to claim that trump's populism is really what won it for him i don't think that's right i think that it was the dark side of populism the the racist side of populism that that won that election and the the more economic populism is actually going to be a unifying force in, in 2018 hopefully well as i referenced earlier um kansas and i, I believe it's in governor brownback is his name in, in yeah kansas, that's right brownback. it was yeah. i don't know if he's still there yeah, he still is. And, 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 and he was a senator first. And he advocated for exactly what the tax bill says. And when he couldn't get it through the Congress, he ran for governor and he got it through the Kansas legislature I mean, a little over three years ago, claiming that these massive tax reductions would free up enormous economic gains. And of course, it never has and never will. And what happened is the revenues got sliced so bad in Kansas that it, it's put the state basically on life support. It, Kansas is, without a doubt, if you take the last 10 years, had the most dramatic precipitous decline in economic activity of any state in the nation. Same guy, Brownback, did it. Now, the thinking that he would do to Kansas and somehow it would work when it's never worked under Reagan, it didn't work under Bush, it leaves terrible wreckage in its wake, why he would do that to his own home state can only be explained by the fact he really believed that. Now, how could he believe it? Okay, Trickle-down economics is based, for those of you who have a long memory, on the work of a guy named Laffler. In fact, he called it the Laffler Curve. The Laffler Curve purportedly showed that if you dramatically reduced the taxes paid by the richest people, they would take that money and put it back into the economy and all kinds of jobs and businesses would grow. And it turned out to be completely false. And every time a politician has tested it, it blows up in their faces. So why are they still testing it? Very simple. The donor class demands it of them. And that's where we started this program. See, the donor class is the folks who have their fingers in the honeypot. And what concerns me is the greed of any one of them, they believe, is just them taking more for themselves and their and their friends. What they don't realize is when they do it in concert with all these other sectors of society, that they will literally kill the goose that's laying the golden eggs. So as slow as our economy is growing, 2% or so, they're going to take it into negative territory. 
And they're going to do it at a time when the American dollar has started falling in value. We're down about 8% now on the basket of currencies. And, and I think it's going to go further down. Uh, right now, if you were to ask a majority of Americans, would they rather have the president of the United States we've got or the prime minister of Canada as the president, Justin Trudeau, I think a majority of Americans would pick Justin Trudeau, <laughs> candidly. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Canada's doing phenomenally well with a completely opposite set of politics. So, you know, you, 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 you can't make this stuff up. If there was anything at all defensible about trickle-down, and we wrote an article on this back in the Bush era, which if anybody wants, we'll send you a copy. It's uh, info uh, at worldbusiness.org is where you'll find it. And um, we wrote an article on it that was very, very compelling and basically said trickle-down can't work, won't work, and of course it didn't work. This this tax bill is trickle down gone wild. It's it's like greed on steroids. And what we have to say to people now is, wait a minute. Even if you think it's okay if we let your sector steal finance, even if you think it's okay if we let your sector steal telecom, if we let your sector steal and screw the, the little guy, airlines. I mean, I could go on and on and on. You, even if you were to exempt one of them, you can't exempt all of them, and that's what this tax bill does. And the idea Part of it is to repatriate money stashed overseas on which no tax has been paid so it can come back home. We did that once before. It was called a tax holiday. It was under Bush. And nothing ended up in the pockets of employees. Nothing ended up in new capital uh, equipment. Nothing ended up in, in the expansion of the business cycle. What happened was it went to share owners and bankers. So why are we doing this? And, and, you know, I'm proud of the American people that 70% of the people realize that this is theft. I, I'm glad that there's that many of us awake. What we're going to have to do, though, and this is where the politics and the economic get bound together, we've got to go to the polls and elect people who are going to protect our interests, not the interest of the wealthy 1% or the largest corporations. That's what we got to do. And I want to put in, I guess I'll put in one plug for Just Capital, which, as you know, is something that the Academy incubated four years ago. We just released on December 12th our rankings for this year of the 100 best companies in America of the top 1,000 based on what Americans said they wanted in just corporate behavior. Go get the current issue of Forbes. See who the 100 are that are basically looking out for you because they're not the people you have to be afraid of. They're the ones that actually are trying to make a fair profit and do it in a way that's good for society. And that's where business has to get back to. At the end of the day, as the, as the Academy said for 30 years, we in business need to be responsible for the whole, meaning for the whole of society. That's what business needs to do, not be the architects of unrestrained, unrestrained greed, which is what's unfortunately coming to the forefront now. Yeah, and what I love about my role in, the, in, in Just Capital is we, we, we are not proscriptive. We're not saying this is what companies should do. We're just referees. We say, okay, here's what the public told us they want, and here are the companies that are giving it the best to the public the way the public wants it. That's all. We're, just yeah. re we're calling them like we see them. And I like that because even though I personally would have a much more aggressive agenda for what should make for an exceptional company, I'm happy to let the public pick that and then rank the thousand largest companies in America for who does it best. That's what we do at Just Capital. And take a look at the Forbes magazine, this current issue. Uh, the CEO of Intel is on the cover because uh, Intel won this year in the Just Capital uh, rankings. You know, we, we talk a lot about the the CEOs and the companies that are at our, that are doing the wrong thing. 
I just I think it's refreshing to actually have some sort of uh, accommodation or at least a, a, a commendation for those who are doing the right thing. It's it's not something you hear reported much, but it, it is important a, a, as a perspective on uh, you know you know how how we can actually make an example out of people doing the right thing, and and, and I think that actually fits with the optimist goal a lot too. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen too? There's two things you're going to you're going to see in 2018. Three things. Number one, I think that the electorate awakening the way they did in Alabama, and frankly, the way they did what three weeks earlier in Virginia. Um, I think in was was it Wisconsin had a legislative election, and there were three states. Virginia wasn't alone, where significant numbers of people turned out to turn back the this, this the greed train. I think that is going to continue and build even further in 2018. Second thing you're going to see is you're going to see some companies beginning to realize that what makes another company rich is going to make you poor. Let me give you an example. Unrestrained permission to the fossil fuel industry to create climate change, which is what we're currently doing, in order to increase the profits of oil and gas and, and coal, and, and, and to decrease the viability of photovoltaic, which they're doing, they're doing everything to kill solar cells, everything they can do to kill they're doing in the Trump administration, and not just the tax bill, but, but in the regulations. Well, what's happening is another industry called the insurance industry is getting clobbered. So it looks, when these fires in Santa Barbara are over, this may go down as the worst by far year for insurance companies ever. And what's significant about that is it's building so fast. It's like they, they they start to recover from a Harvey and they get hit with a Puerto Rico. They start to get hit, recover from the Puerto Rico, they get hit with a Santa Barbara and on and on and on. So it, it's it, the, the casualty insurance business is getting hurt really bad. And at some point, that industry is going to have to say to other industries, hey, you know what? We don't care if you're big oil. You really shouldn't be doing this. I'll give you another one. Can you believe that McKesson, which is bigger than Exxon, I believe, in total profits. McKesson caught, absolutely caught cold in their tracks supporting the illicit, illegal, and widespread distribution of opioids, knowing they were being used to addict people. I missed they that were one. Caught, they were caught red-handed, and they got off with a sla minor slap on the wrist. Now, what do you think that tells all the other big pharma companies? Give you another one. In Brazil, this last week, the Brazilian government has decided to prophylactically assign a preventative drug to high-risk people to start to bring down the HIV infection because it's getting out of hand in Brazil. The cost of the Brazilian government to do that per uh, person is something like a hundred and some dollars. The cost of that same drug in America made by an American company is $1,600. Why is that? That's amazing. Why is it that Germany can buy drugs made in America for 40% less than we can in America? Why do we give Big Pharma this pass to charge whatever they want? Because they control the legislatures. The weakness in our democratic form of government is if we the people don't speak up and really vigorously stay awake and defend ourselves, we get rolled over by big economic forces that can afford to pay the lobbyists, that can afford to pay the lawyers, can afford to pocket the legislators. And, and and you get a tax bill that looks like this one as a result, not because anybody thinks it's a good bill, including the Republicans, I don't think, 
It's because the donor class demands it. And the donor class is demanding it because they don't realize that collectively their individual greed might not bring the economy down, but collectively all that greed will. And it will do so in 2018 for certain. With all due respect to my, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for Amy Domini, it will happen in 2018. My guess is in the first two quarters. Well, Ronaldo, I think we've given people a lot to think about, and I think we have our work cut out for us next year. Uh, is there anything you want to close with? No, I, I wish, look, I, I think we're going to get this, folks, I don't know how, but we're going to get this under control. Um, and I believe that the extent that we exercise our own individual initiative, we will overcome these institutional forces that are holding us back. And I want to believe that better days are ahead, not worse. And I want to believe that we can turn this thing around. And I do believe it. So that's why I publish Optimist Daily. Uh, that's why we do this radio show. Uh, I've tried to give you some advice what I'm doing with my portfolio. I'm staying liquid. I haven't changed my 15% gold holdings. I haven't, uh, I haven't done anything different since the last two shows that we've talked about. I'm going to stand on my avoid risk strategy to the maximum extent possible. And I wish all of you a happy and sane holiday, whether you're celebrating the second day of Hanukkah today or whether you're celebrating Christmas soon or Kwanzaa or whatever you celebrate. I'd love you to have the confidence that we are beginning to understand that we the people means we the people, not you other folks. It means we. And if we stick together, which I think we're starting to do, we'll turn this thing around and we'll have the very best days in front of us rather than behind us. Thanks so much for listening this year. Please write us. Let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. And uh, I want to thank Matt for all the help he's done this year to help this show happen, because without him, it wouldn't have occurred. want to thank all of you who've listened so faithfully and uh, really invite any questions that everybody has. Please send them in. We will deal with them. And other than that, happy holidays. Thank you very much, Ronaldo. And yes, thanks for everyone for listening. And we'll be back at you in 2018. Until then, take care.